Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So we're back. We are so back. We finished last year with the History of Cricket podcast, which I had a great time. And then over summer, we had our summer of cricket mm. in which Pakistan were the touring team. Correct. That reminded me of an episode of the Amazon series, The Test. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. those unfamiliar, The Test is basically the propaganda piece to try and say, no, Australia's actually good blokes after Sandpaper Gate. Some good insights. Some good insights. It's sort of like our, our kind of like our last dance sort of thing, you know, but it, it's like a first dance, you know, it's this dawn of a new era rather than mm. Justin the, Langer stuff. And... The, the agenda is very clear yeah. as the last line is we made a team that the Australian public is proud yeah. of. It's like, this is like what, nine months, a, a year after Sam Pepe. Like, yeah. mm. I love the values of the team. Elite mateship, elite honesty. There's another one that's silly. Everything's like, <laughs> cause I also remember like, um, elite honesty is a good one. It's yeah. Like, you're, no, you're not just honest. Cause in season one, in during the 2019 Ashes, when Mitch Marsh isn't in the team, mm. his contribution is going on morning coffees and asking the boys if he wants to come. <laughs> they really made that sound like Churchill rallying the troops. <laughs> <laughs> he's not even playing in the team, but he's bringing the team together by being considerate in his morning coffee routine. <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't the bit that I was thinking of. What I was actually thinking of was in the second season... They actually tour Pakistan. It's the first time, if I'm not mistaken, since 2004 or something? Like, a long, yeah, long time. Yeah, it was a long time. And we'll cover into why that might be the case mm. in the pod. But because Khawaja was born in Pakistan, he's giving this new, culturally sensitive, aware team an introduction into the history of Pakistan. Mm. And you can see, like, you know, in, in other eras gone by, I can only imagine what, like, Damien Martin and co. would be doing while poor guys trying to give a history lecture... But you just see like Travis Head looking intently like, yeah, like this mm. is <laughs> this is us now. <laughs> we are part of the new breed. And I saw that. I'm like, that's a good content idea. We might rip that off and do that for a podcast. <laughs> we are going to look at the history of Pakistan today. But before we actually get into it, we have an exciting proposal that we do need your help for. Something We have a goal for 2024. Now, other podcasts might have kind of audience retention or 
audience expansion goals. That is not our metric of success. <laughs> our metric of success for the podcast for this year is do we have a big enough profile to get PY on Deal or No Deal, which is returning this year? Sky and Grant Daniel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, for, 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 for obvious reasons. Yeah. We, we don't talk about Andrew O'Keefe. Yeah. I'm hesitant to just like kind of shout out these TV networks and their shows, but also let's get me on there. (laughs) (laughs) Get case number 26. That's what I'm saying. We'll let the patrons decide or the patrons decide which case. (laughs) Live, live live recording. (laughs) um, What's the, the show that Eddie Maguire does his afternoon evening program, uh, where they, when they introduce that they come into the, the the hot seat, they come into the hot seat and then they like introduce you to someone who's come along with them. And it can be the most random people sometimes <laughs> because like, it's obviously filmed just in the middle of the day. So it's like, Oh yeah, I've got my, uh, yeah, my, my brother-in-law's come along with me today. And then, and then like, oh, hey, how's it going? So I love that situation where the what camera froze to YouTube. And, and my podcast co-host. <laughs> or we bring a Patreon and we have to explain. Yeah. I so sponsor this, this podcast. This guy, this guy pays me and my friends $3 a month. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you do it seriously. So you put on the smile and you're like, yeah, really excited to be here. And we're just so... We're, oh, I hope he picks the right number. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing they wouldn't you ask... You give a fake insight into your life. like Given that it's like 11am in the morning or whatever, they, they'd never ask you, what do you do for a job? Because yeah. <laughs> too high risk but a they, question. They might ask for like an interesting fact. And I think you just, just make something up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I walked around Australia five times. <laughs> wow. Well, that is our metric. But we could think of something silly. That's that, yeah. 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 And we could, yeah, use your support. Yeah. yeah. But, so yeah, in order for that to happen, we are probably looking to rank in the top 10 history podcasts in Australia. We've, we've gotten pretty close. We've gotten to 13, if I'm not mistaken, mm. before. So if you tell just one friend and give a recommendation to one friend about the podcast, that would put us on course to be in the top 10. But far more importantly than that, would put us on course mm. to have PayWire on Deal or No Deal. Mm. So get in, get in the subreddits. Yeah, yeah if, you, if you're a Twitter person, share it on there. Yeah, if you're a Quora person, maybe even like get in the Quora, <laughs> Quora, <laughs> the Quora forums. Yeah. Get the word out there. And if we can make this podcast big enough, like that will obviously have its own perks. But what is far more important... Gladiators is back. ...is we can well. get PY on Deal <laughs> Ben for Gladiators. <laughs> PY oh, for on. Deal or No Deal. Yeah, take them on. You know what to do. Mm. Now, <laughs> I mean... Or the chase. The chase would be... I'd like to think I'd do well on the chase, but I think that would just be, it'd be hard to do well. You know what would happen Mm. is you would would absolutely get a question that was covered on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was lighting up my like Joey John's cutaway by that point. I didn't hear what was (laughs) there. (laughs) Maybe the later stage of my life. I'll start with deal or no deal. Just Mm. dumb luck. Yeah. Mm. You know what you have to do. Now, speaking of us kind of dividing and conquering, we actually are going to start today's podcast in pre-partitioned India. So if I were to say, what do you know about Pakistan? Just off the top of your head, what comes to mind when I say the word Pakistan? Beef with India. Mm. No bit of tension there. There, there is a lot of tension A lot of there. tension there. Uh, yeah, a lot of people. The guy in my cricket team's from Pakistan. And you also have... So I believe it was... 
it, it, the borders was created by the British, wasn't it? Yes. So, I don't know. I, why is there? Te- yeah, why is there tension? Well, to actually understand that question, we've got to go back before 1947. Now, Osman Khawaja begins his history of Pakistan in 1947. Mm. Uh, I'm going to engage in some scholarly debate here with Usman Khawaja <laughs> <laughs> and say that we need to actually start early. Actually, I can't remember where he actually started. I just remember he had a PowerPoint out in some like dingy Karachi hotel. I'm going to start early. Oh, Alex Carey fell in the pool. Just oh, a quick yeah. side note about that tour. <laughs> 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 but before 1947, we have the British India, which was called the Raj, the British Raj at the time. So India was formerly owned by the British East India Company, but in 1858, it moved towards having a little bit more autonomy and it was called the British Raj. And basically the kind of key reform there was that the Indians got a Congress where they could pass laws relating to local matters. So in 1858, they get increased autonomy and India actually gets to have some control over their their government. Obviously, it's not total control. It's still run by Britain. And the Viceroy is the person who runs India on the British government's behalf. Do you remember Mount Batten from The Crown? The guy that gets blown up? Yep, yeah. Yeah, he, he was the Viceroy of India um, during, the, during the partition era. Mm. So you've got the Indian National Congress. And there's a couple of key figures that emerge in the, in the Indian National Congress. What's the primary religion in India? Muslim? No. Oh. Hindi. That's the language. Uh- Hindu, Hindu, Hindu. <laughs> Hindu is the, yes, Hindu is the primary religion. So two thirds before partition, two thirds of India was Hindu, and one quarter was Muslim. And then the the, the remnant is made up of uh, of just other minority mm. religions. So basically, you've got an issue where there's there's two thirds one religion, then a significantly sizable minority that is Muslim. And so for the British government that are overseeing this, that's a bit of an issue when you've got a pretty big cultural tension. Now, if you think about the map of India, you any guesses why it was called India? I'm trying to think if there's like something in the name that would suggest the answer. Have you heard of the Indus River before? Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's named after the Indus River, but the Indus River is found very far west of India. Now no longer in India. So ironically, mm. modern day India is named after a river that isn't in their country. So yeah. you have you have India that's named after the Indus River. It's a big landmass. It's got more than modern day India. It's got modern day India, modern day Bangladesh, modern day Pakistan, all inside of its borders. And again, you've got the issue of it being one quarter Muslim. Now, geographically, it also wasn't neatly divided. It wasn't as though all the Muslims were in just one quarter of the country. They were spread across the country. And so when you partition, the issue is because you're not actually partitioning on the boundaries of tribe or of ethnicity or anything like that. You're partitioning on religion. That doesn't have a geographical line that goes with it. And so that's kind of a future issue that comes with partition. Now, in the Indian National Congress, there are some, some key figures. Who do you know of, of pre-independence Indian history? Gandhi. Gandhi. What, 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 was, Gandhi, what was Gandhi known for? He was just like a, a freedom fighter, right? Like he was just a the sort of figurehead of the independence movement, as I understand. Yes, and him specifically was an advocate for, for non-violence in going about that, particularly mm-hmm. in then dealing with the partitioning of the borders when you've got those Hindu-Islamic Islamic tensions. But there are some other key figures as well. Have you heard of a guy called Jawaharlal Nehru? 
No. Not heard of him. So he is the leader of the of the Indian nationalist movement. He's Hindu. So he's a, he's with Gandhi, but he's more hardline than Gandhi is. And he's a really big advocate for Indian independence and Indian nationalism. There's another guy in the Congress. So there's this guy called Muhammad Ali Jinnah. Jinnah is known as the founder of Pakistan today. So he's a hugely important figure in Pakistan. Most people, I'm guessing you've never heard of him before. Most people in the world don't know who he is, which is crazy because he's they're George Washington effectively. And so Jinnah is initially in this Congress that runs in India. And initially, he is not an advocate for partition. His initial aim is to try and secure a deal when the Indians eventually get their independence that the Muslim voice has a strong say in parliament. So his initial ideal is we don't have two separate countries. We have one country where a lot of concessions are made to Islamic people. And that's our strongest way forward because together we're all Indian and this is how we work along the religious difference is that we get special provisions in Congress. He wasn't a hardline Muslim by any means. He was pretty secular in how he went about himself, but he culturally identified as a Muslim. Over time, Jinnah takes a more hardline stance and he starts to believe in actually partitioning into a separate country. And over time, he says, actually, what we need is not just an independent voice in Congress. We actually need a separate country. Now, the Pakistan... The Pakistanis, a lot of them, sorry, the people who would become the Pakistanis, the Muslims, the Muslims in India initially, you'd be surprised to know this, a lot of them don't want Britain to leave. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the Muslims in India are really fearful of Britain leaving. Any guesses why? Sounds like a bit of of Stockholm syndrome, I think they call that. (laughs) Um, What could happen to them if the British leave? Chaos. At the hands of? I guess, I, I don't know, I imagine... Even the the British are in power, yeah. I suppose. So if they were to leave, there would be some sort of uh, fight or power struggle to yeah. be the top dog. Yeah, the power vacuum. Who's going to win in a power struggle between the Hindus and the Muslims? The Hindus. Hindus easily. They've two. got they've got, two, they've got more. Yeah, they've mm. got the numbers. Yeah. And so the Muslims are actually very worried about the British leaving mm. and the potential power vacuum that could see them oppressed by the like Hindu nationalist movement. Mm-hmm. And so you'd be surprised to know that a lot of them are actually pretty concerned about the British leaving. And so eventually during World War II, obviously we start to see the British move to, and following World War II, we see the British move towards decolonization. The Labour leader, Clement Attlee, as far early as 1937, says that he believes India should be independent. So after the war, Churchill's booted, he comes in and moves them made towards Indian independence. Initially... The UK is not a fan of partition at all. They're like, again, we we want you to be one country. We don't want to have to negotiate with two separate countries because you're going to be like a Commonwealth nation. We'll still have very good relations. We don't want two separate countries. But by the end of World War II, the UK actually become much more okay with the idea of partition and actually become much more supportive of partitioning along religious lines. There's a reason for that. That guy I mentioned before, Jawaharlal Nehru, He'd be the guy that ends up becoming the first leader of independent India. He starts cozying up to the Soviets. Now, he doesn't become an official ally with the Soviets really until Stalin's death, which is in the 50s. But he says very early on in the Cold War that we're part of the non-aligned movement. We don't want to have any say in either America or the Soviets. We don't want any part in this war. We want to focus on our own development. As far as kind of Western interests are concerned, India is pretty close to Russia. 
And so mm. it would be very much in their benefit to have a strong ally on the doorstep of countries like Russia and Afghanistan. And so it would make a lot of sense to have an ally there. So they weren't stoked that India was moving in this direction. So as we're moving towards 1947, the British realised, hey, partition actually isn't a bad idea at all. Because if India is going a separate way and if Nehru is leading the Indians towards the Soviets or at least away from the Western Bloc, why don't we funnel all of our energy into this new country, Pakistan? And why don't we make them actually the powerful pro-Western country, well, militarily at least, in South Asia? And so what happens is the British, and this happens under Mountbatten, eventually approve the partition of Pakistan. And then you kind of have, in certain provinces, like the province of Punjab and the province of Bengal, um, they get to have their own votes as to, will they join India, will they join Pakistan? And what happens is you got, in 1947, you've got this really ugly moment where you have people from, or Hindus on the Pakistan side of the border and Muslims on the Indian side of the border are like, oh crap, we're falling on the wrong, wrong mm-hmm. side of it here. We've got to get across to the other side. And so what happens is as they cross, there's a, there's a lot of violence and there's a lot of clashing between the two different religious groups as they're crossing each other's borders to go into the corresponding country. In that violence, Gandhi gets killed. Right. Why are they so angry at each other? So that is a question that you have to go further back into history for. Have you heard of an empire called the Mughal Empire? Not the Mongols, the Mughal Empire. No, I don't think so. So basically, um, probably its most famous leader would be Akbar the Great. They spread, so they were a Muslim group that spread really far into India. And so India had a history of being conquered by Muslims. And then there was kind of like Hindu resistance. So there's that long-standing tension right there. And the reason why it's really tense between India and Pakistan is it's not too dissimilar to an Israel-Palestine situation. Israel's defense is that Palestine doesn't want us to exist. Palestine's defense is that Israel doesn't want us to exist. Pakistan argues India doesn't believe that we have the right to exist. And that is the basis for a lot of hostility from the Pakistani side towards the Indian side. There's other factors at play, like the Kashmir border dispute, and it's a little bit more comprehensive than that. But the main, the crux of the argument is that Pakistanis don't believe that Indians believe that they have the right to exist. Now, that's not actually true. Jawaharlal Nehru got tired with Jinnah, and Nehru actually said, whatever, let's just partition, let's get this done with. So Nehru actually let it go ahead. But the Pakistanis very much had this belief that India doesn't want us to exist. They wanted a Hindu India, not a Hindu India and an Islamic Pakistan. They wanted us to be incorporated into Hindu India. And so there's a lot of that hostility between Pakistan and India comes down to this idea that they don't want Muslims to exist in India. It's crazy how just like drawing a line on a map can lead to so much tension. And Um, when it's particularly drawn by British people... Yeah. That are like, oh, yeah, that's a straight line. It's a good little, yeah. get the protractor out, yeah. <laughs> nice little four degree angle. Get your little bendy ruler. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's re- religious, right? That's where the tension kind of comes from. And how do you draw a, draw a line on religion? Yeah. Like, it's it's like, I would say. So whether or not there was a, a line there, that kind of tension would be there. Yeah, exactly. But the, theoretically, there could have been a way forward. Like, there are countries that have two very distinct cultural groups yeah. that m- buy into a single national identity together. Yeah. Um, the, the interesting thing is 
I, I quite like this for a quite. I don't know. It's not, I don't know. You can't measure it if it's statistically true or not, but it just seems to be the lay of the land. You ask a Pakistani person, what do you identify first as? A Muslim or a Pakistani? They'll say a Muslim. You go to India and you say, what do you identify first as an Indian or as a Hindu? They'll say an Indian. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a it's a mix of religion and nationality and culture. Mm. And those tensions really came to play. They were there before. And the British, again, the British didn't invent these tensions, but the British certainly exacerbated it by drawing this arbitrary line and saying, get on the other side of the border while you can now. They should be able to coexist. (laughs) Get on the UN Security Council. (laughs) Where is the love? (laughs) Maybe that could be your deal or no deal little. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the first step to PY being Secretary General of the UN. (laughs) No, that's... I don't know. That's a throwaway comment from me, really, that fully understanding why they feel the way they feel, I suppose. Mm. So from India's point of view, India's like, you blew up this good thing. We would have had this harmonious India altogether. Our population wouldn't be divided. You chose you wanted independence and you partitioned out of nowhere, just brought partition and convinced the British, who are the enemies, to let you go along with it. The Pakistanis are like, you don't think we have the right to exist and you don't think we have the right to draw up our own Muslim country. And mm-hmm. that tension is and then that tension gets amplified ten times during the Cold War when the Eastern Bloc and the Western Bloc are encouraging India and Pakistan to be against each other. So for the mm-hmm. for the West, they want a non-communist Pakistan to be a to kind of like a barrier between the Soviet Union and India. And so a combination of Afghanistan and then Pakistan could be a good barrier between the Soviet Union and, and India. Whereas the Eastern Bloc is saying, you've got this kind of Western-aligned country on your border. Are you going to take that? And so both sides of the Cold War egg each other on, and that also amplifies the the tension between India and Pakistan. And I do want to do a separate podcast on India as well and try and cover India's side of the story. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting. So basically what happens is because they rushed through partition in 1947, it takes until 1956 to get a constitution. Jinnah died in 1948, so he died like a, a year after Pakistan was actually formed. He had the title of Governor General, he wasn't Prime Minister, um, and he died up in 1948. So it isn't until 1956 that we get this independent Pakistan with a functioning constitution. Two years later, it gets suspended after a coup, Ugh. and we're going to see this theme pop up a lot. So in 1958, there's a guy called Ayub Khan, he leads a military coup and overthrows the civilian government. Now... Why can he do that? Why why is he in a position where he's so powerful? It's not just that he's the leader of the military. It's the fact that America is pumping money into the Pakistani military. And so throughout the 50s and the 60s, you see America funnel a ton of money into Pakistani military aid um, to basically try and develop them as this kind of Cold War ally on the doorstep of Russia. The issue is, is that it makes the military super powerful and super influential in, in Pakistan, so they can just go and overthrow the civilian government, no worries. On top of that, you've got Pakistan spending about 6% of its GDP on the military. That might not sound like much. That is more than today, as a percentage of the GDP, that is more than America today, that is more than Russia today, that is more than Israel today. Hmm. So Pakistan is spending a ton on its military, and the military has infiltrated kind of top positions in parliament, and they had a lot of influence and a lot of sway. And Ayub Khan actually led the military into taking government in 1958. It's the tea break here with Boris Johnson. 
Back in 2007, $1.50 could get you a long way. Perhaps even a pack of JJ's at the school canteen. Now, it daily gets you a soft serve. But the Mr. M Patreon can still get that $1.50 to go far. Enjoy access to all sorts of perks like an extra podcast, a monthly Q&A, your choice of podcast topic, and even your own imposter to sneak into a main channel video. It takes two seconds to sign up. That's quicker than I can say, invertebrate jellies. Like I said before, who is Pakistan's number one enemy at this point? Well, it's still India. Isn't it's it? still India. Yeah. And each side, so again, the West and the East, they're encouraging each side to kind of provoke and, 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 and antagonize the other. So in 1965, Ayub Khan has a border kind of skirmish with India and the Soviets actually have to come in and, and, and lead the peace resolutions. It's not too dissimilar to at the end of the 2010s and, in, and regarding Kashmir, India and Pakistan actually kind of said to Donald Trump, do you mind having a go at being mediator? And so there's really technical border dispute that you have the apprentice guy coming in yeah. and being the mediator. <laughs> and that was actually their angle. It was like, you know nothing here. Fresh pair of eyes. Like fresh, fresh pair right, of eyes. So, yeah, okay. What, what year was this? This was, I think, 2019, I think, was when yeah, they were okay. considering having... Trump be the mediator. Anyway, to go back to the story, the Soviets are the mediator in this 1965 mm. one. And so who would get favoured if the Soviets are the mediators? It would be India, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's like Ted Lasso's marriage counsellor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, too soon. <laughs> Ambiguous ending. Anyway, so 1965, so 1965, the Soviets resolved the border dispute and it looks way better for India than it does for Pakistan. A lot of Pakistanis are then very annoyed at Ayub Khan and actually start to almost have some sort of resistance against Ayub Khan uh, and to kind of actually speak out against the Khan regime. So Ayub Khan had a foreign minister. His name was Lulikfar Ali Bhutto. You're killing it today with these names, Cam. Just remember, I just remember Ali Bhutto. The Bhutto, okay, remember Bhutto. Bhutto. Bhutto is going to be an important name in Pakistani history. So that is, that is one you've absolutely got to remember. Lock Bhutto. it in the brain. Bhutto. In. So Bhutto was the foreign minister and he came out looking pretty good in this because he initially advised Khan against, heavy action against India. He tr- tried to advocate for something completely different to what the Soviets gave him. He actually saved a lot of face coming out of that interaction. And so Bhutto in 1969 then actually replaced Ayub Khan as the leader of Pakistan. And he's not a military guy. He was just prime minister. So 1969, Bhutto emerges as the prime minister and the civilian leader of Pakistan. What happened to the military leader guy? Did he just step down? Yeah. Or did, yeah, okay. yeah, under pressure. So that happens in 1969. In 1971, there is a massive, massive, massive war that I'm pretty sure you never would have heard of. 1971. 1971. It's not Vietnam. Mm-hmm. It's... Yeah, it's, it's, no, it's nothing in, in kind of Southeast Asia. You've got to move to more South Central Asia and you have the East Pakistan War. Mm. So geographically, right, it probably helps to have a map. Just imagine this from left to right. On the left, you've got West Pakistan. In the middle, you've got the landmass of India. And on the right, you've got East Pakistan. East Pakistan is completely separated from West Pakistan by India in the middle. So is it like a like a, a horseshoe? But the countries are on either side of the horseshoe. There's no there's no like there's no connection between East Pakistan and West Pakistan by land. 
Right. So, so again, when you're drawing these these lines up, it's like what could go wrong? You've got two countries that hate each other, and one of those countries has its rival country sandwiched right in between its two territories. Mm. But that section of India isn't isolated from the rest of India. Yeah, exactly. So India India goes more like a horseshoe. Yeah. Okay. So East Pakistan doesn't go to the ceiling, so to speak. India gets a bit of territory over the top of East Pakistan and continues into this weird horseshoe. Again, you're dividing it along religion rather than by geography or, or ethnicity. Mm. So they're like, oh yeah, there's Muslims on the on the on the west, there's Muslims on the east. Let's just make two areas part of the one Muslim country. That seems wise. That seems very wise. Now, the in these kind of like two land masses, the West has the power by far. So West has heaps more influence. It's got your key cities, like you've got Karachi, which at the time was the capital. It was Again, like like that's Karachi, South Pakistan. There was a huge power base in the south of West Pakistan. That is, you've got the the region of Punjab, and you've got Islamabad there as well. So you've got a lot of key Pakistani territories that are in the west. You go to the east of Pakistan. You go to Dhaka. Okay. Yeah. I can see where this is going now. Yep, I can. East Pakistan becomes what? Bangladesh. Bangladesh. Mm. So Bangladesh was not a country until 1971. And so, yeah, exactly. And again, it was weird how, like, that's just, in terms of, like, subcontinental literacy, that's just not taught at all, Mm. really, anywhere. So, basically, what happens is you've got these elections in 1971. Bhutto loses, and the, the, the kind of majority party is from East Pakistan. Obviously, West Pakistan's like, oh, no, no way is East Pakistan governing us. And so you actually see a kind of war of independence um, or like, yeah, like kind of a revolution begin in Bangladesh. Hmm. Who would support Bangladesh? Wait, sorry. So to clarify, so you say East Pakistan won, which is now Pakistan today. And then... No, so West Pakistan West is now Pakistan, Pakistan today. Okay, so who's who won? Did Bangladesh or Pakistan win? Well, so East Pakistan won the election. So the East Pakistan party won the 19th... This is pro- and before... That, and they would go on to become Bangladesh or Pakistan? They'd go on to become Bangladesh. Okay. So West Pakistan, which is Pakistan today, when that election took place, they were like, no, we don't accept it. So they then fight for their independence, but keep Pakistan as their name. How does that... No, no, so, so the election comes before the war. So there's yep. the 1971 election. East Pakistan wins. West Pakistan says no. Then they begin the war. Uh-huh. And then they begin the independence war. Yeah. Who would support this East Pakistan warring to Bangladesh? Who would support them in that war against West Pakistan? Is it a country that we've been talking about a lot today? <laughs> it absolutely is. <laughs> India? India. So India, I think from their point of view, they can, on one, on one side of their country, they can actually replace a hostile nation with a friendly nation. Hmm. So what they do is they, so Bangladesh is Muslim, it's not Hindu, but they support the East Pakistan independence movement and they support them in that war. It actually becomes a really strange proxy war where you've got the Americans and the Soviets also involved by proxy and eventually what happens is that Bangladesh wins and becomes an independent nation. Mm. After this as well, we see that India starts developing nukes. Mm. Just a little side project. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, just my side hustle yeah. here. <laughs> Which is interesting because that goes against the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. Hmm. This is the treaty drawn up that says you get nukes. Well, it's like we get nukes, you don't, to pretty much the rest of the world. And the rest of the world was like, yeah. And India's like, nah, we Not need all. nukes. We've got, we've, got, we've got Pakistan next to us. And what so, would, What would Gandhi think? <laughs> <laughs> WWGD. <laughs> again, again get him on the UN. I get confused. 
thought he was like a he's like a spi- I thought he would, I thought he was like a spiritual leader. Gandhi? Yeah. Nah, as a political I leader. Confused the hit between him and the Dalai Lama. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you need him on Deal or No Deal. That's your line for Deal or No Deal. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that. I don't think that's crazy bad. Yeah, I, I don't think that's an egregious error. <laughs> but it is, I just sometimes it is kind of someone, if someone references Gandhi, I think like, oh yeah, he's the the spiritual leader. Yeah, was Gandhi very like Hindu? Yeah, he was Hindu. Yeah, but so like again, kind of like in the same way that Martin Luther King was Christian, but like used yeah. his Christianity as, as a tool to guide his political ambitions yeah okay that was kind of what the what hindu was to to yeah. gandhi or hinduism was to gandhi so yeah like it's like you can't divorce the religion and the politics in these situations often they go hand in hand yeah and so but he wasn't fulfilling like a a religious ideology he had a political ideology and he which was in which was in independent india yeah he wasn't through to, non-violence to create a, a hindu india or to affirm it's that it was just an independent independent so and then a tradition like yeah stay yeah as you exactly are. so like not like militantly Hindu but yeah. Hindu like yeah just yeah, yeah. so any- Indian people must be just be cringing so much listening. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, does the Dalai Lama play any role no he he, he lives in India yeah because he's a refugee but yeah. no he plays no role Tibet 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 doesn't really feature in the story that much which okay. is fair enough the Dalai Lama's front yeah. yeah yeah apologies to my my two. Uh, friends at work with Indian heritage. I, I do hope they've stuck around after I said Hindi instead of Hindu. That common mistake. It's always like a, a sorry class. as well. I think I think there's a huge compilation online of like people saying like Hindi instead of Hindu. But my favourite one is um like there was this woman who it's sort of been oh it's on a current affair maybe like 2008 or 2009. It was forever ago. She was running for some like state government role or whatever um, in an election and she gets asked on the Israel-Palestine issue and she goes so like you've got Israel which is obviously a Christian country and it's like <laughs> literally a country that was the only country that's really defined Christianity started. specifically <laughs> by their religion <laughs> um, and so she's like obviously like yeah they believe Jesus is the son of God and like <laughs> literally says one of the most offensive things for practicing yeah. Jews to <laughs> to hear I as feel, the I feel for her. as the national identity anyway we fast forward to to post the Bangladesh Liberation War. If India's going to get nukes, what's that going to what's that going to create for Pakistan? They Jeopardy. Jeopardy. Game shows. Yeah, yeah. just game shows on his mind. <laughs> They're going to want some of their own, surely. Exactly. And so, how do you resolve a tension like this? I don't remember. Mutually like, assured destruction. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say Guitar Hero, but that's also. <laughs> What? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I see the link. <laughs> I think he's just saying you just battle it out. Over, oh, okay. Like, like whoever, can, Serena did whoever can beat through the fire and the flames on expert the quickest gets the victory. What happened to Guitar Hero? Why did that? I'm sorry, I really shoehorned my hobby horse issue here. What happened to Guitar Hero? Why did yeah. that just stop being a thing all of a sudden? I still see clips. Like people still play, play it. Like they do like insane things on it. Like just to get like. What cool console? Like next gen? I don't know. Actually, yeah, it's a great question. We oh, <laughs> maybe they all moved on to Tap Tap Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> it's very two thousands, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you used to. I always find Guitar Hero guitars on like council cleanups and stuff, and then you just like came around for the day and then like smash them like you're a rock star. It was it was Brilliant. very fun. 
Yeah. One time I went to Ben's neighbor's house during a council cleanup and I took a, I thought it, oh, it was a scooter out the front of Ben's neighbor's house. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's during. So to clarify, a council cleanup is just when like, it was what, like twice a year or something. Yeah, twice a year. You just like put all whatever junk you had out on like your front lawn basically and what a the garbage truck would come pick it's them up. It's probably good that and they then, got rid of that. As kids, we used to go around and like go and like pillage them and try to find cool stuff. Mm. And sorry, Cam, play on. And so I went, I was at Ben's place because I'm friends with Ben's older brother, as I mentioned a couple times the pod. And so I went to hang out with Ben's older brother and we went on a council cleanup hustle. And next to Ben's place, there was a scooter out the front. Now this is council cleanup era. <laughs> I like look at it and I'm like, it's, it is the only thing that's here, but it's council. They, they would know not to do that during council cleanup. And so... It was probably about maybe like a 500, 600 meter bike ride from Ben's place to my place. Very difficult when you're 12 and you're holding a whole Razor scooter on your bike, (laughs) trying to ride one handed uphill. And I hustled. I worked so hard to get that scooter home. I was so happy that I got this scooter. And then obviously Ben's mom called my mom and was like, hey, did Cam take a scooter? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That wasn't in council cleanup. (laughs) Someone, he just had his friend over that day. He just parked his scooter out the front. (laughs) <laughs> yeah well i mean easy mistake to make i think like calling hindu hindi like it just yeah. happens <laughs> to the best of us if it was the only thing out there maybe could have thought twice but understandable. <laughs> but i'm not gonna judge 11 year old cam <laughs> anyway that might, that's probably more patreon special territory so buto is still the prime minister and so Bhutto, he sees India making nukes. And so he launches his own nuclear campaign. It's like Pakistan needs nukes too. There's a conspiracy out there that Pakistan helps supply because Kim Jong-il helps North Korea go nuclear. And that's kind of the huge geopolitical issue we face today is you've got this nation that everyone else is calling rogue. America's demand is that North Korea denuclearizes. North Korea's like, well, then we lose our leverage if we do that. Anyway, the whole issue with North Korea was that they went nuclear and there's a conspiracy that Pakistan got them the bits to go nuclear and Pakistan shared their research with North Korea mm. to help the North Koreans go nuclear. In cahoots? Yes. Now, Why it would take... So, during the 90s, we'll cover this in a moment soon, Pakistan fell out of favour with America because, it's, well, as we'll come to it soon, Pakistan lost its leverage with America. And so, again, in kind of equalising the geopolitical game and in looking yep. for new allies and new partnerships to build... North Korea would be it would be a helpful place to get some leverage. Anyway. Trying to make friends. Trying to make friends. Mm. And in the nineties, they actually tried to play the game like a like a world superpower. They tried to beat China in America in the nineties. It didn't work. And we'll come on to reasons why in the next pod. But it's a that's a really interesting part of Pakistani history. Anyway, so he steps up and goes, All right, we're gonna go nuclear. If they're going nuclear, it's it would take them until nineteen ninety eight to actually successfully test a nuke. So it took a long while to get there, but Bhutto starts those developments and he's so insistent on Pakistan going nuclear under the guise of self-defense against India. America is really annoyed at this and they're very frustrated with Pakistan for, 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 for getting nukes because they're allowed them and no one else is. That's kind of like the rule. They of the want game. to be the only ones. Yeah. It's like, you know, the Soviets, I guess they're our enemies. They've got to have them, but you can't be like a, a close ally. And also you, you do understand it from their point of view the more countries that go nuclear, the more it just takes one rogue leader mm. to create a huge catastrophe. So I don't want to entirely dismiss the American point of view, though they do need to understand how it comes across to other countries when they say, we have nukes, but you're not allowed them. Now, Bhutto, he is reasonably popular in Pakistan. Reasonably popular. Obviously, the Bangladesh war didn't go well for him, and having been popular coming in after the 1965 war... 
he his popularity took a, took a, took a dent in 1971. Now we fast forward all the way to 1977, and there's a, an election in Pakistan for parliament. Bhutto wins those elections, but there are huge allegations of electoral interference, corruption, corruption, rigging, and at Pakistan there is so much corruption in that country. Basically, the way that it functions is 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 having politicians on the payroll of huge companies so that those companies don't pay tax. And so there's, there's huge black holes in the Pakistani treasury by these companies making sure that they don't get taxed and, and that instead the Pakistani people are taxed instead. So you've got corruption, you have huge issues of electoral interference. And so Pakistan is, the Pakistani military gets, gets the yips at this point. And they're a little bit nervous around Bhutto, considering this civilian person has built a huge kind of, not quite a cult of personality, but he's, he's been in, in, in parliament for nearly a decade now. Well, at least, sorry, he's been in parliament for over a decade, but been prime minister for, for nearly a decade. He is seen as the figurehead of Pakistan. He's got the whole nuclear program under his watch. He's built a lot of the Pakistani government around his own image. They, all, they get really nervous with this. Bhutto's big mistake is that he appoints a guy called Zia al-Haq to be the army chief. Zia al-Haq decides, and, and the reason why Bhutto appointed Zia al-Haq was that he thought Zia al-Haq could be controlled quite easily. Mm. Zia al-Haq cannot be controlled quite easily. Mm. And Zia al-Haq actually just does a coup and, arrests, <laughs> and he has Bhutto arrested. So Zia al-Haq comes in, he suspends the constitution in a state of emergency. He is the new military leader of Pakistan. And Pakistan is now once again... For again, for the first time since Ayub Khan, now directly under the control of the military, and this guy Zia Al Haq becomes really interesting. If you're Zia Al Haq, what do you do with Bhutto? You can't say Plague Guitar Hero as an answer. <laughs> Rats. <laughs> like, is he going like, to kill him? Yes. Oh. Now, this might seem like an obvious move. Murder. Pakistan's a democracy. Yeah. Mm. That like. Again, you look at that and you're like, oh, yeah, that's some, like, real, like, Al-Qaeda stuff right there. Yeah. That's not what Pakistan is, though. Pakistan is a democracy, part of the Commonwealth in the image of Britain. So, it's really controversial. So, so Bhutto never thinks that he's going to be killed by Zia al-Haq. Bhutto is very much of the belief that this will blow over. He's not really going to do it. It's just a publicity stunt to get me out of sight. And to try and scare my supporters into going against him. He's not going to kill me. Oh, wow. He, by, by the closest sources we can get, the, the realisation kicks in maybe about half an hour before he dies that he's actually going to go and do it. So up until the whole time he's arrested, he's very much of the belief. And yeah, he goes through like, like a kind of sham trial and whatever. Um, and Bhutto is, is done on electoral interference and corruption. And the whole time that Bhutto is going through that, he's thinking he's sweet. And then apparently only about half an hour before he's killed does he actually realise, oh, Zia's actually going to take my head here. So this um, makes Zia al-Haq kind of a pariah in the international community. A what? Pariah, like like lone wolf, outsider, Dan mm-hmm. Humphrey. Um, <laughs> lonely boy. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like lonely boys. <laughs> my gosh, just 30 <laughs> seconds ago. <laughs> We're talking about a political assassination, essentially, and that we'd pivot seamlessly to Dan Humphrey and a gossip girl. girl impersonate. This is this is podcasting right here. 
And it was smooth. Oh. That was good. That was very. That was very enjoyable. It, it's but do you, yeah. Do you see? Do, do you get the point of the analogy? Though, like he's a he's a lonely boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an outsider in the international community, and he like he starts to get a bit of the Kim Jong Un treatment. Like oh, the Mad Zia Al Haq, like that mm. guy. Uh, like oh, probably actually a better analogy would be Idi Amin. So this is like an Idi Amin sort of figure in Pakistan, because not only does he get rid of Bhutto. He actually begins something called the... Find out what Zia Al-Haq begins next week for part two of the Pakistan special on the Mr. M History Podcast. Get PY on deal or no deal and join the Patreon.